man. There's a beverage here, huh? Does anybody here know how many times I've had to watch Funny Lady? I'm gonna get that gun of mine, and I'm gonna change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Hey, hello everybody, how you doing? Welcome to Who Shot You? I'm your host, Ify Wadiway. In the booth with me today is Films Reviews Editor at The Wrap, Alonzo Duralde. What's good? Oh, Ify, I think we've we've crossed a line here and there may never be coming back. Uh, KFC just announced that they are testing in two markets... <laughs> Chicken and donuts. Oh, yeah. Wait, is that like chicken and apostrophe donuts or chicken in donuts? Like it's a sandwich. Mm -hmm. Two donuts. Of two donuts. Chicken and in the chicken. middle. Yeah. Like okay. take that Popeye. I did. I need to clean It's funny. It Every, everyone's so surprised, but did everyone forget when Dunkin' Donuts mm -hmm. crawled before KFC could <laughs> fly? Because <laughs> they had a breakfast sandwich where they used the glazed donut and it slapped and it's gone. They never brought it back. I guess I was the only one eating it, just like I'll be the only one eating this KFC concoction. <laughs> I had this thing, a version of this thing at the California State Fair once. Ah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't hate it. Yeah. That's State and it Fair. And it was even a jelly donut that had been oh, carved see, in half. That's wow. even better. That's next level. Did you see where those test cities were? Uh, <laughs> yes, Richmond, Virginia, and Pittsburgh. So oh, those lucky bitches. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you guys eat one, please report to us on our please. Facebook page. We want to know everything. Until please, then, I, bring your own donut. Go ahead and use the Who Shot line. I want to hear your voice <laughs> when you talk about how it tastes. <laughs> Also in the booth, uh, producers and film festival programmer, Dre Clark. What's good? Mine's not food related at all. In fact, it couldn't be more removed, but it's still good. And it's also, it's something I want to share with the people. I feel everyone can benefit if they're not doing this already. I've been crafting my own room spray, you guys. What? <laughs> and, you know, I'm always here for skincare recommendations. And I'm going to put room spray in that same sort of category for me. But basically, I hate Febreze. Like, I oh, hate, well, it's yeah. like so, so chemical but we're we're getting a little cooler now i'm more on fan than air conditioner and so everything starts it just feels warm and stale and um, room spray the best one in the world it's 50 percent water 50 percent vodka so go to the liquor store and this time what? intentionally be like what is the jankiest russian sounding name <laughs> back there yeah. i want your pop off i was say pop off totally. i want oh, your yeah. taka with five a's <laughs> like whatever it is like that's what you want you fill a little i use a spritzer that's previously a facial spray and <laughs> and then essential oil and honestly because the something about the vodka it removes smell so it's not layering smell like febreze yeah. it removes smell and then all you get is a little of the essential oil and it is so good and I really hope people go out and do it. It leaves your apartment it. smelling like a bar in Tunguska. <laughs> yeah. No, you can't smell the vodka at all. It's like cooking with alcohol. Like it just sort of, I don't know, it's magic. What essential oil are you using that's really I can't, I, it off? So I am very much of a citrus blend mm. when it comes to anything in the sort. I use this, I use citruses in my my air diffuser as well, you guys. <laughs> I mean, we're getting into it. <laughs> Good question. Thank you. All right. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'm going to try that out. I'm going to try that <laughs> Also, in the booth, a uh, freelance writer whose work can be read on The Hollywood Reporter, Teen Vogue, Playboy, and many others, Joelle Monique. Hey! What's good? Uh, Victoria, PBS, three seasons in. If you enjoy uh, the British monarch and strong-headed <laughs> women and uh, tall, dark, brooding men, like, it's for you. It's so That's good. That's me. It's perfect. <laughs> when I tell you I found 
obsession. I'm like, oh, new obsession. Been looking for a good like um, kings and queens drama since we lost Game of Thrones, and I was feeling like a little lost, and I was like rehashing a lot of old shows. This is fresh and it's new and it's amazing. <laughs> Have they invented the Christmas tree yet? No, but she did invent the white wedding dress. Um, you know, we learned that uh, modern hairstyles, lots of coming. She invented so many things. Oh, and trains. Mm-hmm. All that. <laughs> and trains. More importantly, hairstyles, but also trains. If he what's good. Oh, what's good with me? Uh, this past Sunday, I went to the Family Style Fest at the Television uh, City Center. I had an IRL stream for those who follow Twitch. But yeah, now I was walking around and uh, it was by the hundreds, uh, Bobby Hundreds of the hundreds. Oh, yeah. Uh, I did a documentary up. that he about his clothing brand uh, at LA Film Festival awesome. years ago. Well, he uh, teamed up with all the like hip restaurants in LA and they combined streetwear with food and they uh, had like clothing collabs and then like special like one-off dishes. So John and Vinny's was there, Prince Street Pizza, Cat's Delicatessen, uh, Sweet Chick, uh, Burger Lords, and they all had like these special dishes they made in honor of like a clothing brand. And then like Anwar Carrots and the Hundreds had special aprons and they had Garfield branding. It was real fun. I ate Way too much, yeah. uh, but it was a good time. I ha- had a hot Cheetos encrusted uh, hot chicken sandwich, and then they. Put, I tend to like, get food on cheese. my sportswear. So. Oh yeah, <laughs> well that's see that's what it really kicked off because I had I had so much food that like my sausage like dropped and I caught it, but it was against my shirt, and I was like uh. no because you know I had to go dripped out. Uh, any event where you know there's going to be some uh, some streetwear heads, everyone we have to show out. We have to wear our, our Sunday best. Wait, were the flaming hot Cheetos? Keto. Oh no, I was a thousand percent off keto for this event. I knew going in, I took a running start into carbs. I was like, let's go. I ate so many carbs. Oh, my bonus. What's good is because you went to that street fair. I kept getting little videos of iffy eating popping up in my Twitter feed. (laughs) I was like, all right. I'll watch yeah, this. I was, yeah, it was. It's delicious. Uh, the pastrami was, uh, so I love a good strom. Today we're going to be talking about the Hustlers, a movie that has something for everyone. I even had a little Christmas in there for Christmas Daddy Alonzo mm. Duralde. The Hustlers, uh, Grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as always, we're going to have a call from the Who Shot line, staff picks, but first. It's time for our new segment called Itadick, short for Is This Important? Do I Care? Each of us will read a new segment and answer the question, Is This Important? And Do I Care? First off and foremost, we're talking about our man's Andy Circus, the man with the million muscles in his face. The king of motion capture, Andy Serkis, has some concerns about the growth of CGI technology. Serkis, who is best known for his motion capture performances as Gollum in The Lord of the Rings and Caesar in the recent Planet of the Ape films, gave an interview with Screen Daily this past week where he brought up some of the ethical questions that arise from the tech. When your performance becomes data, it can be manipulated, rework or sampled, much like the music industry samples vocals and beats. If we can do that, where does the intellectual property lie? Who owns authorship of the performance? Where are boundaries? A question 
10 years too late. Uh, <laughs> Not at all. Uh, I mean, VCR is data. <laughs> Anything, yeah, film is essentially right, data. Right, but I think what he's specifically talking yeah. about is your performance. So Bruce Lee, mm-hmm. recently, his family just had this conversation mm-hmm. of yeah. being like, no, you cannot use Bruce Lee's physical moves. Like, you can't turn that into data and then apply it to another actor so they look as cool as Bruce Lee. You can't do that. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's more what he's talking about. Because, yeah. like, I mean, if you give your performance to a studio, they own that performance oh, in yeah. that film or whatever. But now that we can, you know, cut, copy, and paste a performance, I feel like that does open up a new ethical boundary. I mean, I th- but I still stand by, it. for all intents and purposes, someone can study Bruce Lee and do it. And yes, there's still the work there, but I mean, when we're talking about, when we step out of the artistic discussion and start talking about legalese of uh, intellectual property, Except we're talking for about Fortnite. what he's talking about isn't just intellectual property. It's, yeah. it's specifically within CGI. Yeah. And so if you're talking about someone like training and doing Mm -hmm. that fine that's part of their craft where it is is like we recently saw in star wars both princess leah and the peter cushing character grand Um, moff tarkin thank you i was like oh my god (laughs) alonzo my one nugget of trivia enjoy it everyone (laughs) he'll have more my only star wars uh, he he always has more but like they recreated an entire character and that actor you know, it's the idea if you originate a character and what you're doing in terms of shaping their movements, how they speak, all of those things. One of the things he brings up, rightfully so, is that then those people, their estates, even if they're passed away, should also be paid for any new oh, yeah. performances. I, I think, I mean, you know, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. This does feel like like it was about 10 years too late because, I mean, how long ago was Fred Astaire dancing with a vacuum cleaner? Like, it seems right. like this has been going on for a while now. Obviously, this is a specific thing where these mocap performances are sort of scanned and all that stuff. But, I mean, now we're in the era of deep fakes where even if you aren't scanned, they can make you say or do things that you weren't doing before. And so, you know, if anything, what Circus is doing is makes it easier for them because they've got all the data to work with. But it seems to me the the ethical questions and whatnot are certainly worth asking, but the you know, there's no controlling now what anybody can do with this stuff because the tech is out there. The tech is there. The one other ethical thing that I'd love to hear about that he makes a point of is at this point, if we have actors in mocap and you can make them like he into an ape or whichever mm-hmm. ape family thing he was, <laughs> I don't remember, chimpanzee, anyway. Yeah, I think he's but, a yeah. <laughs> but as he points out, he's like, I could ostensibly play Martin Luther King if you put me into his. And those are other ethical questions of what does that say for, oh, we'd like more diversity yeah, in right. characterization and in casting. Mm-hmm. Oh, instead, why don't we just keep casting the same people? And I think those are the future questions. Yeah, I read an yeah. interesting article that was kind of querying what happens when we just constantly de-age actors and we have all these mm. like historically like really great films of young actors who kind of look like these great profound older actors and they come in and they do these roles and they're like, man, look at how they like sync their performances and what they learn from one another, blah, blah, blah. And that'll kind of be erased if we're always just de-aging actors. But sometimes it's cool. Robert Downey Jr. It was also like, yeah. holy crap. <laughs> Uh, another film that came out this week was Warner Brothers' adaptation of the bestseller The Goldfinch, but unlike our movie today, The Hustlers, uh, <laughs> The Goldfinch bombed at the box office. There were many contributing factors, terrible reviews, the two and a half hour runtime, 
Ansel Elgort. Uh, but according to Burn. Warner Brothers, president of domestic distribution, Jeff Goldstein, the reason the film didn't do well was because, quote, I think the audience wasn't interested in seeing this literary work on Boo. screen, unquote. Oh, yes, let's blame the book. Is this the important? Pulitzer Prize winning book, do sir. Do you care? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, it's funny that, you know, yeah, like... It had a two and a half hour runtime, but how long was it? Chapter two, <laughs> you know, like it Five really hours. is. Yeah, yeah. Or <laughs> Avengers for that matter. Yeah, it really is like yeah. I, I, I but also I don't know. Um, I like to because I typically most of my marketing is done to me via Twitter, Instagram, mm-hmm. and anything that comes between a Twitch video I'm watching. We get it. Uh, you're young. Uh, how was the marketing <laughs> for this? Because I remember I mentioned it to a friend, and they're like, "Oh, the book was real good," and I was like. Like, all right, well, that's enough for me not to watch it. Yeah, the, 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 bill, the billboard was like a kid suspended in midair, which made no sense. If you know the thing. Or the bird painting. Yeah, or the bird painting. And then, like, it's, it's as a, I was fast-forwarding through commercials on TiVo, I kept seeing an ad of a, an explosion in a museum. And it's like, oh, yes, let's open a movie the week of September 11th and sell it with a terrorist incident. Yeah, and that's it's a terrorist attack that they never mention in the film. I can give you four reasons why nobody watched this movie. Um, yeah. It's first of all, not only nobody watched order. it, but why you shouldn't watch it. No. <laughs> just add to just don't oh, wow. go see oh, this there's movie. There's more than four. Okay, <laughs> one. Uh, this film makes a really grand statement at one point. That's like there's a beginning. And after, and everywhere in between is the painting. But they don't give me the reason for the damn painting until the last five minutes of the movie. Why am I watching this movie? Who cares, too? They Disney princess deaded the mom, who is the initial starting point of the emotional arc of this entire character. You have no idea what he's missing other than his mother, but it's his best friend. It's the person who gave him his love of art. It's like literally all the ways he moves through the earth is because of his mother, and you get none of that in the intro. They just wiped it away. Dumb. Three, there's an entire heist in this movie that doesn't happen on screen. Like, a really cool, like, Russian gangster, like, heist. And they're like, we'll just tell it in two minutes and they're going to get it. Yeah, Great. No one likes to watch a heist. No. You know? so those films haven't been successful at all. And for if you're going to do a love story, do an effing love story. Like, I don't know why we're tap dancing around it and it's not really love. I don't know who's happening. No, it's terrible. I don't know why we talk for 20 minutes about films when she just did it in about 32 yeah. seconds. <laughs> I, yeah. My thing, I read The Goldfinch, not to brag. Um, <laughs> it was an amazing book. <laughs> it was, I didn't, I wasn't a big fan. I've liked other, I liked The Secret History a lot, which she, which she also wrote. a much wrote. better book. Yeah, but The um, the Goldfinch was okay, but it was, it's very cerebral, it's very internal. And what this reminded me of, I also felt like they didn't take the lessons from Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, which was, Ooh. to me, a an adjacent film like that there's a, enough like clout behind it there's a literary success behind it there's uh, adjacent to tragedy you know there's all of these things and that also failed and i think that as much as we are wanting like more original dramas and stuff i don't think their fingers on the pulse when it comes to reading what it is that people are missing. I, I have a theory that every award season includes at least one completely misbegotten <laughs> adaptation of a popular like middle brow book club kind of read, you know. I would listen to that podcast. The, the Book Thief and, you know, somebody mentioned this mm. is one of Nicole Kidman's worst openings since Billy Bathgate. That was an E.L. Doctorow novel yeah. that everybody thought was going to be a big deal movie. Like, extremely loud, incredibly
relatively close. Another example, like these books that everybody was reading and then the movie comes out and no one was seeing yeah. it, you know. Uh, in a recent interview with IndieWire, Adam Sandler discussed his career and how Netflix was responsible for revitalizing it. In 2014, he had released a string of bombs, Pixels, Blended, That's My Boy. Oof. You might remember some of Oof. these from your TV every weekend. It was at that time when he signed a huge movie deal with Netflix and the success was in part because of Netflix's ability to, quote, invade every home around the world. Since creepy. his deal with Netflix, he's had a string of hits, in quotes. The Ridiculous Six, The Do-Over, Sandy Wexler, and his most recent film, Murder Mystery, earned over 30.8 million views over its first three days. A record. Is this important? Do you care? Before I even say anything, <laughs> I will say I really like... Adam Sandler, I think he's a great person, he's nice and all this, but I think the reason he's found success is because it kind of like cut out the hurt part of his movie's uh, lifespan, which yes. is like, they come out in theaters, oof, they come to your your, your TVs, people are like, all right, I'll watch it. Yeah, <laughs> that, just... it, it, this is like, it used to be that, you know, when, when people couldn't be movie stars anymore, they would go to TV and ideally find their thing there, and he's kind of halfway done that, where he's gone to streaming, and he's still making movies, but essentially it's the same idea of like, I'm I'm not going to leave my house for your bullshit, <laughs> but I will sit on my sofa and and just stare at it because when I'm tired at the end of a long ass day and I don't want to have to think about anything, Adam Sandler is is a go-to. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely it's interesting cuz there's both a lowest common denominator sort of element to it and then he really does try and make work for a broad audience, yeah. which not everybody is aiming for. Every Many people are like, oh, no, this is for people who find laughter in, in sadness or whatever. And he's like, no, I just want everybody to like this. Ugh. And because of it, it does sort of take the bottom out of a lot of things. You know what? I had to review Pixels Blended and That's My Boy. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm still mad about that. And so, you but you, Did you touch Ridiculous Six, The Do-Over, or Sandy Wexler? Uh, we did Ridiculous Six and The Do-Over on the uh, R.I.P. What the Flick, and they were not... Uh, <laughs> I've seen... The Do-Over is, like, toxic. <laughs> like, uh, seriously, like, uh, in terms mm -hmm. of its... It, it hit so many these movies, their messaging about women is nauseating. Horrifying. Like, Pixels is so the, like, you know, the women are there as prizes to be won. Literally, like, like Martha Stewart and Serena Williams are offered up to to the people for saving the earth from video games. It's, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't get me started on Adam Sandler yeah. all night. Uh, opinions, sure. <laughs> Adam Sandler is, here's the thing, Adam Sandler's like a really weird artist to me. Like if you're looking at the longevity of his career and what he was able to do early career and how he kind of touched like very not specifically like a young white dudes and, and found like a space for them in kind of this carrying on the like Caddyshack tradition. I find that like this is a really interesting phase of his career. Then you have like Punch Drunk Love, which, uh, okay, so now we're like, okay, he's got depth. And I feel like if Netflix gave him anything, it might be Uncut Gems. Like the mm -hmm. idea that he was able to do all of which these, is his new film that just premiered right. in Toronto. It yeah. premiered at TIFF to rave reviews of people like it's wild and crazy, but it's awesome. I didn't get a chance to screen it there, but I think that it's interesting to see that he was able to do these kind of four or five, what we I think as critics would call mediocre middle ground films, um, and then go on to do something of that caliber. Four I'll, for you, one for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
I do love I do love Meyerowitz stories. So when I when I complain about Adam Sandler, I'm complaining about Happy Madison Adam Sandler and not mm-hmm. in the hands of others, Adam Sandler. Ah. I don't know. I've watched Happy Gilmore a thousand times. It was a classic as a child, a yeah. five year old. I shouldn't have been watching it, but that's what was on. I, I, love, I love that you say that he carved out a space for young white men because yeah. they weren't getting they anything from the industry. <laughs> Show business had turned their back. I, no matter what Adam Sandler uh, creates, you know, I think it's still going to be a step up from the worst thing he created, which was Rob Schneider. We're going to take a break. But when we come back, we'll be talking about Hustlers just as soon as we hear from another one of the shows on Maximum Fun. Dead Pilot Society brings you exclusive readings of comedy pilots that were never made, featuring actors like Patton Oswalt. So the vampire from the future sleeps in the dude's studio during the day, and they hunt monsters at night. It's Blade meets the odd couple. (laughs) Adam Scott and Jane Levy. Come on, Corey. She's too serious, too businessy. She doesn't know the hokey pokey. She'll learn what it's all about. Busy Phillips and Dave Keckner. Baby, this is family. My Uncle Tell, who showed his wiener to Cinderella at Disneyland, is family. Do you want him staying with us? He did stay with us for three months. And he was a delight. <laughs> a new pilot every month, only on Dead Pilot Society for Maximum Fun. Welcome back to Who Shot You? I'm your host, Ify Wadiway. In the studio with me are... Drea Clark. Joel Monique. Alonzo Duralde. And today we're talking about Hustlers. Drea, can you please give us a synopsis of the film? I will. Settle in, children. Get close. <laughs> Does everyone have their carpet square? Mm-hmm. All right. So, we follow a young woman named Destiny, or Dorothy. She's played by Constance Wu. She has been in it for a minute as a stripper, but not having a lot of success. She is now at a club called Moves. She ends up meeting the amazing sort of show pony of the club, Ramona, played by one Jennifer Lopez, who takes her under her wing and her fur coat and gives her some, you know, tips on how to be the best stripper she can be, which involves a lot of the two of them teaming up. And um, life moves. They get really good at what they're doing. And then, you guys, the stock market crashed in 2008. Real life stuff. People lost money. Also, a lot of Wall Street guys lost money. And those were the ones who had been paying them to strip. And so things get dire for a moment. And to turn things around, they come back together. They team up. They bring in a few new girls. They put together a squad and essentially decide to go fishing for new men that they are going to take out, drug, bring to the strip club, run up all the money on their credit card, and send them off into the evening. Uh, They make a crap ton of money, and then you guys, then, you know, what happens is the feds find them. Things don't go great. Consequences happen, and a story is written about it by a journalist played by Julia Stiles. Hustlers! I was spending so much time trying to put my finger on that actress while I was watching it. No! And I was like, oh yeah, that's my girl. Save the last Are you my not a, a young prepubescent girl who obsessed with Save the Last Dance? Yes. Yes. No, I was a young prepubescent man who was like, I need to find my dancing white girl. Oh no. Uh, oh, oh, I just glad you weren't going to say you were obsessed with O. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, I did dig O. Uh, I wasn't obsessed. I didn't like the ending. <laughs> Uh, uh, (laughs) this movie was, I, you know, 
I have, like I said, I'm team no trailers. Uh, but you know, the marketing was very well for this movie, mostly because I'm following Cardi B uh, Mete on uh, Instagram, and they kept talking about it, which she is phenomenal. She came into my life after the Lemonade video. Uh, she was the dancer on that, yeah, and she she's just this phenomenal all-star dancer who uh, is generally loved. I didn't know she was uh, super popular until I followed her, and I was like, oh, she has all of the followers. Uh, she's in there for a bit. Cardi, surprisingly amazing performance, but like it's kind of like a duh, you know, you know, yeah. an ex dancer playing a dancer. But it's, it, I just was really surprised and just there, it, it was just like what everyone hopes when they're like, I'm gonna make you act as what you are, and you get that real naturalness. Like every time she was doing like the backstage pep talk, like I was in it, I was like, this feels genuine, real. Uh, as they say, it's really hard to play yourself on screen. Watch any film with Zsa Zsa Gabor if you don't believe it. <laughs> but she nails it. Kiki Palmer. Oh, I kn- Kiki Palmer. I knew you'd Palmer. make another reference. Oh, whoo-wee. It was, it was a good ride just drinking it in because I'm fueled up off of the meme that she's recently been on Twitter. Uh, I don't know Sorry that, to this I don't man. Know that. Sorry you to this have not man. Seen, okay, we're going to introduce you to this meme. No, no, I, said, okay. I don't know this man. Sorry to this man. Um, sorry to this man. So and then, of course, last but not least, Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> Which, like, all through this movie, all I can I kept thinking was, she dated Drake. She's willing to date younger men. Oh, Jesus. This, oh, yeah, yeah. this, this is not end well for you, this, my friend. No, no, look, no. all I got to do is make some Drake racks. And I feel like, first, I, I, I think <laughs> if, everyone you know. in this room can agree that I would be a better partner than Drake. I think we can all... I mean, were you on Degrassi? You were not. 98% of the community of people, the human race, would be a better partner than Drake. Let's I mean, just be real Drake, about it had the best partner and just let it slip through his hands. He and had her and Serena, like, y- God y- bless This it. is shocking because I was like, can't wait to talk about Hustlers. I did not see a Drake exit ramp coming. <laughs> oh, like, my God. I did not know oh that my. was We're where zagging. we would go. Yeah, but, yeah, no, it was, it was also like, I am, there's nothing that I lust and love more than exposition told visually and not just focused on. So just that opening scene of just like, boom, 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 here's the problems, here's what she's dealing with, and it's all just shown visually, let's get to the the meat of the film. I love it. I love when uh, films do it. I love, you know, Edgar Wright, he loves doing that. Speaking to the idea of the visual storytelling here, this is such a, uh, I mean, all movies are visual, but <laughs> this one in particular for something that's interiors, that's about, a small, a sort of an insular performance, almost um, the one-on-one of it. That there's so much here that is told or shown and not told in lovely ways. And one of the roots of that, and why this movie is so success- successful to the audiences that it has been, which is a very female audience, it's an older audience, um, is because there's a respect level given to the women. As a result of the female filmmaker Lorene Scafaria, Scafaria, yes. mm-hmm. and um, and it's one of those things like we we talk about the male gaze a good bit if you're digging into any kind of film theory, and this is a film where we see strippers unabashedly stripping and in the meat of it, and yet it doesn't feel 
they don't feel sexualized in an objectifying way. They're not yeah. exploited, which yeah. I think is what is really usually the problem with, or the thing that a lot of women find difficult in watching things that are at the male gaze. And the male gaze is not necessarily bad or evil. It's just sometimes mm-hmm. you're like, I don't, she's not an object, and I don't know why we're serving her up for dinner in this moment. And it's a scene that I think, like, this J-Lo's introductory stripper scene is just, is incredible, because it's just shot straight on. And, like, you yeah. can't point a camera at J-Lo and not have her look, like, just flawlessly gorgeous. So it's not not sexy. It's just more, I think, about capturing the technical aspects. There's, like, you're like, this woman is putting in work. Like, wow. Yeah. And there's something really gratifying about watching these women go to work instead of watching these women be sexy. Yeah. You know, and I, I found that very interesting, how they were able to pull that off. One thing I do want to touch on, too, is because I do have a few friends who, uh, who've been about that uh, strip life, and, you know, I've heard the horror stories. And one of the things I think they really drove home that a lot of people don't know is just how many hands are in your pockets when mm. you do strip. Mm. So, yeah. like, all that is I've heard all of that of like yes you 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 tip the DJ you have to tip the person who's cutting your your money and then you have to tip maybe one other person like there's so many so many people with your hands in your pocket that you can if you don't make a and whole you pay bunch for your of, time there yeah so if you don't make a bunch of money you're really not making money and it was really that that was so visually fun is like you see how much money she made you saw how much money gets taken from her before she leaves the club and then at the very end giving the rest of it to her uh to her grandmother it was like I, that was i i mean there's so many cool just choices they made. I mean, the shot when we get deeper in the movie of the guys entering the Escalade from the bar and then exiting the oh, I I, I that's that's the stuff I'm nerdy off. I love a good shot. I love a good transition hidden. Uh, another shout out to Edgar Wright, uh, mostly because I only saw a video essay about <laughs> Edgar Wright's transition and how he doesn't like. Well, there's there's <laughs> Alonzo just rolled his eyes well, because there's a lot of Scorsese in this movie. Uh, okay, a lot of Scorsese. I was going to ask, do you think it's a fair comparison to do, because I've seen some people like, it's the women version of the Wolf of Wall Street, which is not how I walked away from the That's that's oversimplifying it, but I I think, like, for example, like, I heard people ooing about the Steadicam shot at the beginning of the film, where we follow Constance Wu from backstage, on stage, off stage, and back again, and that just feels like a very Scorsese kind of shot. Uh, you know, Especially you, as an opener. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You, know, you see it in Goodfellas. You see it in a lot of different places. And uh, I think the, the parts of the movie that I, I think are really effective are the ones where it does what the better Scorsese movies do in terms of here is the thing we are doing. Here's how it works. Here's where the money goes. These are the mechanics of yeah. the yeah. caper, of the con, of the whatever. You know, and and I like that stuff a lot. Um, I have some issues with this film that I, I feel like are getting buried because everyone is super enthusiastic about it. And I don't want to sound like I'm not enthusiastic about it because I do like a lot of it. But I think there are some issues that I would like to discuss at some Hit point. Us. Yes. Tell us. Give yes. us the ish. I think there are some script there's some script marrow that feels missing to me. Like, for instance, yes, I do like in the beginning how quickly we're brought into everything and how much is told visually. But when you have... Constance Wu was the new girl getting immediately taken under the wing of, like, Queen of the Roost, Jennifer Lopez, with no discussion and no questions asked. It's kind of like, Like, I've seen so many movies where the new interloper has an agenda, maybe, or the old, you know, like vanguard person has the agenda and we're just not gonna we don't care we're just there they were instant buddies and bam that's it well what agenda would you i 
I don't know. I like the fact that they're instant friends. No, and, and okay, and, and that's fine, and I, I would be down for that. But the fact that neither of them even feels remotely suspicious about that coming together like the jennifer lopez as the person who rules the roost doesn't think to herself what is this woman trying to get from me what she might she what, have in mind this is the clear capitalism of it is that when they meet constance is like oh i'm not doing that well how do you make so much money and jennifer lopez is like oh i'll tell you and then she looks at her and is like how are you not making money you're young you're asian you're whatever like she sees her as oh you're a tool i can use and can't or destiny sees Ramona as oh you have the tools so like I think it was a very clear business like element yeah. to me of what they identified in the other but I can kind of see the both sides because that makes do, more sense as you describe it than anything I what I was able to glean out of yeah because how that scene goes because that does make sense because that's kind of what I got when she was like we'll work together but I think Alonzo's right where we don't see a reason like we literally just see her uh, leave stage as like the best so it's like oh she doesn't but need the help. reason was money and when we see them team up and they're, then yeah. they're super even more successful I think Jennifer probably always had someone or Ramona had someone that she was maybe teamed up with and she currently doesn't I just I looked at it and liked it I was like oh it is as clear cut you both want money from each other and I liked the absence of any other drama because so many films the 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 female connection is immediately catty it's competitive and this was just like oh I don't need to fight with you we can make some money get under my coat I mean I know if he watches a lot of movies with strippers uh, where would you put this, this and is what are the, the other one, standouts this is probably like the best one I I might even go out to say maybe the only good representation of because I, I feel like this is the only one that like you know we're in such an interesting place uh, in sex work because I feel like in the, we're in a generation that is, in a ways in ways more accepting of it, but also now finding new ways to condemn it with stuff like Sesta and Fosta passing right. because they've uh, they've been able to safely work online using social media accounts and then it's just that weird thing because it's that it's kind of like um, in a weird in a weird kind of half comparison the way uh, we when we talk about about uh, weed crimes and how it affects, you know, uh, people of color and how they're in jail for it. And now white people are making hand over fist. And the argument or justification of where how some people go to sleep at night was like, well, it was illegal. And it's the same way when, like, you have sex workers who deal with sexual assault and try and come to the police. And somehow, for some reason, because there was a transaction, they asked for it, uh, which is essentially just the, in the most crass way is just saying like then you deserve to be robbed because you're selling things Mm -hmm. uh was so so like what i love about this movie is it just kind of i think show it tries its best to accurately portray sex work and i like the line that constance gets to say where she's like i don't want you know to you to spin this and make it seem like all strippers are thieves and and that and the line that really hit for me it was really it was pretty emotional uh, you choked yeah, up yeah, yeah i got <laughs> choked up is when constance uh 
asked uh, the reporter about her upbringing, and she was like, "And what would you do for a thousand dollars?" Like that hits for me because whenever I talk, whenever you know, I I grew up in Compton, and I will say like my family was okay. Like it wasn't like we weren't the poorest of the poor, but when you do have these conversations of about people in underprivileged communities, and you have you know even some left leaning you know uh, armchair economists who want to speak on these things, they don't. They don't understand like disparity. They don't understand when it's like you're all out of options and you have to either pay rent or you're homeless or you're mm-hmm. all out of options and you have to make this money or you do not have something to eat. So you're just going to do whatever seems like it's going to work right now. And 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 I think that that was a way to kind of turn the mirror on the audience where it's like if you want to judge any of the women in this movie – just realize that, like, what would you do for a thousand dollars? And realize that you have to consider everything you already have before you answer that question. And when you have nothing, that then that question is a lot easier to answer. That thing was really interesting. Uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, sex workers and their commenting on this film. Um, Yevgenia, who's on Twitter, who's amazing um, and very open about her life as a sex worker and what that means for her. She's a former TV writer. Um, she had some issues with those scenes specifically because. Stripping versus like sexual exchanges, she doesn't see too much of a difference between these jobs, and yeah. so to per- portray oh, to one as like degrading, completely yeah. degrading, not just the instance but the job itself, yeah. was was challenging for her. And she also felt that the way she, they portrayed the the Russians that they brought in um, was. I mean, dis- I'm not using her exact words, but maybe distasteful, um, you know, because they're they're willing to do it. Through, and it's just like, whatever, they're Russian, they're cold hearted women and they can do it. And she was like, not really the case. Yeah. Um, so I, I will say they're, they're definitely as far as like representation, there's a lot of like great opportunities. Um, but as far as like being 100 percent honest, like yeah. as much as I love Lizzo and I'm really glad she was in this movie, high end strip club in New York. I don't know if they're hiring big girls. I just don't know if that's happening. Um so also, if you, if you were going to see this movie for Lizzo or Cardi B, it's like they're yeah, gone. Yeah. I don't know. That, yeah, that's what's so funny. Never is to like, be if seen you again. Went, and, and the way they're promoting it, you would think they were from top to yeah. bottom. Oh yeah. Uh uh-uh. uh <laughs> Yeah. So uh, we're gonna go ahead and review the movie uh, um, the way we do it here, Joel. If you haven't heard before, we vote screen it, stream it, or skip it. Andrea, I'll let you start. I think people should screen this. I think it's so good. I think it's important for how we see things. I think every time we see a movie, it it trains us how to view things. And I think what you can learn from this is important. And I think it's just a fun ride regardless. Screen it. Uh, Definitely screen it, but screen it with uh, as diverse and I mean gender, race, age as possible. Like, we wouldn't take my grandma to see it. I feel like there's a lot of conversations to be had. Yeah. Um, and especially in reading the diversity of the reviews and how some people came back and missed, like some guy wanted to see more of the dude who was renting Jennifer's apartment. And I was like, that guy has <laughs> zero storyline. Their relationship is talking? basically a transaction. He's like, it could have been a whole movie. But that's something that's interesting to me that we can talk, like clearly you were missing men in this movie, yeah. sir. And like, let's dive into that. And so I think it's, it's a lot to talk about. So it's good. Go watch it. Uh, you know, I, I suddenly feel like a spoil por- sport for liking this movie that everybody loves. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but I will say screen it um, because it is uh, the, there is a lot of energy to this film and it says a lot of the right stuff. And you want to see the spectacle of it projected. Uh, and there is a major Christmas scene. 
nice. yeah, I will say screen it as well. You know, you know, uh, Lord of Horn uh, on here on the cast, and it it's, it has something for everyone. I will say, I was really like. It, I really did enjoy like the kind of flip and the female gaze in a movie like this. Uh, you know, if you're if if you're listening, it's like yeah, if you but you know, I'm trying to see some hot uh, hot dudes. Well, guess what? There they do a dead stripper play uh, with a man, and I was like, and I was like, I was like, this guy got a rocking bod here. Like this ain't no this ain't no business. This is a personal trainer, baby. I was like, and then they were carrying. I was like, when are we gonna see that thing though? And we and we get to see that thing. Uh, it was it was short, but I was like, all right, sun's packing heat. Uh, so, so like I said, something for everybody. It's, I, I was, I was in it for the long haul. Uh, Weirdly, that won't all fit on a poster, but it should. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back after we hear from another fun show on Maximum Fun. Hi, I'm Joe Firestone. And I'm Manolo Moreno. And we're the hosts of Dr. Game Show, which is a podcast where we play games submitted by listeners, regardless of quality or content, with in-studio guests and callers from all over the world. And you can win a custom a magnet. A custom magnet. Subscribe now to make sure you get our next episode. What's an example of a game, Manolo? Pokemon or medication. How do you play that? You have to guess if something's a Pokemon name or a Medi- medication. medication. First-time listener, if you want to listen to episode highlights and also know how to participate follow dr game show on facebook instagram and twitter we'd love to hear yeah, from you it's really fun for the whole family we'll be every other wednesday starting march 13th and we're coming to max fun snorlax pokemon yes nice Welcome back to Who Shot Ya. I'm your host, Ify Wadiwe, and in the studio with me are Alonzo Duralde, Joel Monique, Drea Clark. And now it's time to answer a call from the Who Shot line. Casey, play that call. Hello, Ify, Drea, Alonzo, and or company. This is Matilda calling from Ventura. Uh, I wanted to know, so my partner and I are getting married in April, and I was wondering if you have any good wedding movies. So either good movies about weddings or movies that you think somebody should watch before getting married. Thanks. I will say I thought she was going to ask us to officiate and got real excited. Okay. But, <laughs> As a team? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first wedding movie that comes to mind, I'm glad it's the one that comes to mind because I think it's also a good movie. You will weep at it, but it's one unlike many of them where the people actually end up getting married. And that is Monsoon Wedding. Oh, oh yes! Mira Nair. Yes, I love this film. I think it's... Um, it's a unique cultural movie in the sense that it's about an, a, an arranged marriage, but there's some, the like family stuff that comes up with every kind of wedding and it's beautiful and weepy and there's a whole little sub story with the little boy who wants to dance and the father's ashamed of his dancing. It kills me every time. There's a wedding in Mississippi Masala too, isn't mm-hmm, there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, it's some beautiful monsoon wedding, I would say. Well, I, I jump right to Robert Altman's A Wedding, which oh, was his follow-up to Nashville and has an even larger cast of speaking parts. And it's a huge, huge ensemble that includes Carol Burnett and Paul Dooley and Vittorio Gassman and uh, Dennis Christopher and uh, Mia Farrow and a, a ton of people. It is brilliantly funny. It is one of those great sort of like... Here's how we're going to satirize the world and the time that we live in in the in the encased into this one giant wedding, this sort of old money patrician family and this nouveau riche family coming together. 
you know, secrets are revealed and scandals unfold and there's a tornado and all this other stuff. You know, Geraldine Chaplin is the wedding planner who's just like on her last nerve. And Lillian Gish is the the the, the matriarch who dies at the beginning of the movie. But everybody keeps going up and visiting her anyway and assuming that she's alive and listening to their nonsense. It's a great movie. It will take you a good four viewings to keep track of who's who and who's related and to who. Related. And why they're there, but it's a great movie. I've never seen this movie, and I'm definitely going to catch it. Uh, okay, so I have three, and I'll go really oh, quick. Wow. Um, I have so, like ten. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so first, um, if you... I'm sure you love your partner, but sometimes we haven't had all the conversations we need to have before we put a ring on. There's a lot of talking that needs to be done. So check out the apartment. Get all of your, like, trash background, like, base stuff out and, like, just just weather that storm before it's finalized. (laughs) Then I would say um, my big fat Greek wedding because you're going to need a comedy to, like, lighten the mood and, like, have, like, a good time and just enjoy that sort of, you know, malaise. And then I would say um, a Philadelphia story because... Ooh. Yes, that's on my list. It's because, okay, it is about, like, falling in love, falling out of love, but not really. Like, I, I love the idea of sometimes you can hate your partner, but, like, always the love is there. And um, you are not going to get better performances. Philadelphia story is also the rare love triangle that's actually a square. Catherine Hepburn should never have less than three people trying to get her attention. Don't leave Ruth Hussey out of this. I was was gonna go with the best man. Uh, Oh, uh, obviously, Uh, yes. uh, And and, you know, I I, I don't know if this is on the soundtrack or not, but just go ahead and throw Jagged Edge in the mix at some point. (laughs) Meet me at the altar in your white dress. It is on the soundtrack. It's a theme song. Yes. Okay, I'm not crazy. (laughs) Might as well do it. Yes. Yes. Uh, my best friend's wedding, of course, Ooh. and uh, um, the other one. Uh, oh, four weddings and a funeral. Four weddings and a funeral, uh. of course. I would say um, wedding banquet is another sort of interesting. It's Ang Lee, and it's um, it's about a gay Taiwanese American man who's been in love and with his partner for years, and to sort of he's closeted and to kind of like appease his parents, he basically sets up the sham marriage with a woman who lives in his building. And then they decide they're going to come to town and do this huge reception to like, you know, cheer them on and everything. So they have to like go through it and they get married and a lot of things happen, but the, the love between he and his partner and how that's tested. Mm -hmm. And then the woman who's the bride is given a, a nice, a full story as well of like what her background is and she's a single mother and like how she ends up there. So wedding banquet is one, but there's also like the, the ones that are just automatic. Um, there's so many rom-coms in this. Mm, mm. Um, I think obviously crazy rich Asians has my favorite wedding oh, scene. My God, in it. Yes. Like the best wedding on film ever. Ever. ever like I don't want to get married but I do want to flood um, an aisle for myself at some point I can point. literally walk on water for sure Woo. Father of the Bride has such like an old school sweetness to it both versions I was gonna really. say which one yeah you could you could probably see either of them I'm sure the Steve Martin is easier to get and you guys speaking of Adam Sandler I still think Singer singers a sweet Ooh, little movie yeah. oh, Drew Barrymore's so good in that it's the Drew of things and really... after you've been together for five years you should watch two for the road. Don't watch it now, it'll scare you. (laughs) You know what? We could give movie like don't watch The Graduate. (laughs) What are all the wedding movies that it's like Sixteen Candles. Bad idea. Yes, sixteen candles. 
great wedding scene. Uh, the caller said partner, didn't specify mm-hmm. gender, but you know, if you're looking for some lezzy like romance weddings, imagine me and you. <gasps> imagine me and you. It's so perfect. It's the first thing when I heard wedding, I was like, what's that one I love? Imagine me and you. Hmm, that actually goes a different way for the wedding, but, but yeah. But then comes back around. Comes back around. End. If you can find it, there was a 90s indie called Late Bloomers about uh, two middle-aged women, one who had been previously married to a guy and one not who get married and uh, there is a whole great wedding sequence in that that involves basketball. And there's also awesome. a wedding scene in Angry Birds too. Uh, oh my. Stop it. Sit down. Stop making Les- Angry Birds 2 a thing. I love it. Leslie Jones really came into her own as that <laughs> weird bird. Uh, what about um, Mamma Mia, you guys? I, well, I we was almost missed it. I was almost missed it. I'm worried. Like, I did not say Mamma Mia 2, Alonso, so you can tuck those uh, daggers I back in. both of them. Thank you, you very much. The first one, too. So yes. campy and glorious. They stamp on tiles until it breaks, and they're like, I can't. Alonso. You're not going to yeah. lecture me about camp, young lady. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an elder gay, and you'll respect me as such. Amazing. She just physically <laughs> sat down. I <laughs> tutored. She I took a seat. She did take a seat. So much education just happened. <laughs> All right. Well, I think you have lots of movies to choose from. I know it's going to be Angry Birds too. So uh, <laughs> and here's the other tip: register for everything at every store, and if you get multiples, you can return it for store credit. Ooh, Ooh. that's a great tip. All right. Well, that's uh, why they join us for the yeah, wedding tips. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you to everyone who has called in. We've gotten a ton of great calls in the past couple of weeks, so keep it up. The number for the Who Shot line is WSY 803-1664. And now it's time for staff picks. It could be any movie, in theaters, streaming, what have you. Uh, Joelle, why don't you start? It's not in theaters yet. I don't even know if it's been purchased, but I just got back from TIFF and it's all I can talk about and nobody else is. So I'm going to continue to spread the great word of um, Radioactive. Uh, Marjane Satrapi, who mm. did Persepolis and is one of like, she's a graphic novel like artist and writer. Um, she makes these films that have the most authentic, well-rounded women I've seen in film because she deals with motherhood in a way that doesn't center it, but doesn't try to make her like the icy cold mom who's not interested. She deals with friendships and death and love. And like all of these seem like very kind of broad things, but she brings them into these like very specific moments. And this is a take on a graphic novel about the life of, um, whoa, <laughs> brain fire, uh, scientist. She was the first one to Peter win. Peter Parker. Marie Curie. <laughs> Adam Marie Curie, thank you. Um, ah. And what's really great about it is they take the life of, <laughs> Peter Parker, I love you. Um, they take the life of radium, after it's been discovered and compare it to the life of the scientist. So, like, as she's having this meltdown about her husband's death, they cut to Chernobyl. It sounds bonkers, but it's done so beautifully because the whole story is about how she's concerned about what her discovery will do, but she doesn't want to try to possess it and and make a bunch of money off of it. She wants it to go out into the world and to do good things, but... By doing that, also bad things are going to happen. And it compares how it's used to treat cancer versus how it causes cancer, and it's so the cast is amazing. Rose, um, not Burn. I'm so sorry. I cannot remember the lead actress's name. Watch it. When it comes out, it's going to be beautiful. It's so great. And I need more people to see the movie. Radium is the most metaphorical of all the elements. <laughs> <laughs> Andrea, do you have a staff I do. Mine is not nearly, I don't have the good science references, but mine's actually an Australian film from just a couple years ago that's currently on Netflix. It's called Cargo. 
It stars Martin Freeman, and it's a zombie film at a time where you're like, well, I've seen every zombie film. I don't need another zombie film. F you with your zombie film. But I really I enjoy this iteration of it. It's more thoughtful than they often are in terms of like wanting. It has um, Shades of the Road, the Cormac McCarthy mm-hmm. um for a man and his family who's stuck in this post-apocalyptic world where basically it's a three-day turn once you're bitten into a zombie. And he's trying to sort of look out for his young daughter and his wife. Um, And then also the aboriginal um, family that they come into partnership with in interesting ways and specifically with the young sort of preteen girl. And I think it has really nice performances. It, to me, allowed like, oh, there are still new takes to be had with um, genres that are well-worn. Um, yeah, it's a nice little Netflix view. Cargo. Mm, all right. And Alonzo? So in the 90s, when I was a film festival programmer, uh, I had the very good fortune to meet a young filmmaker named Sarah Jacobson. And I programmed a feature film that she made called Mary Jane's Not a Virgin Anymore, which is a great sort of female gaze, coming of age, uh, you know, young woman's sexuality story. Shot on 16 millimeter, very kind of DIY punk rock aesthetic. It's the first movie Um, that I programmed at the university art house ah, I worked at. Well, there you go. So and then, you know, Sarah came to Dallas. We screened the film, and I had already I'd met her before at, at, at the Independent Feature Market in New York. We became friends. And tragically, uh, before she could complete another feature, Sarah uh, died of cancer in the early 2000s in her 30s. Um, she has nonetheless endured as a, a an important indie figure of, of American cinema in an exciting time. And now AGFA, the American Genre Film Archive, has released a Blu-ray, the films of Sarah Jacobson, that includes her short I Was a Teenage Serial Killer, uh, her feature Mary Jane's Not a Virgin Anymore, and um, shorts and music videos and other stuff. So I'm thrilled that more people are going to be discovering her work. She was taken away from us far too early. Uh, but, you know, the work endures and people should check it out. Ooh. Uh, you know, originally my staff pick, because I, I like to was do... Was just going to be Angry Birds 2 again? Uh, no, no. <laughs> Even though I hope some of y'all went to go see it. Uh, it was going to be Players Club, but Players Club, it does not hold up. It did it's not, not eat well. It does not in the least, because I was trying to do like, a, oh, you know, so I'm going to just say, you know, I'm still going to base it on something uh, of, of that we talked about this episode. And uh, Adam Sandler movie that, uh, you know, I like. <laughs> Which is funny, people. Uh, so, so uh, definitely check that out. One of the one of the good ones. Yes. <laughs> I was like, yes. say pixel, say pixel. That's it. Hey, I know that one's like. I I don't know. I definitely wasn't expecting funny people back when I saw it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I got, it, I was like, huh. All right, this is great. So, uh, if you haven't, please check it out. Now it's time for five-star reviews. If you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we'll read it on air. This one is from Beth NCH One V Three. Still spectacular with the electric boogaloo cast change. If he can get it, thank you. Finally, a smart and hilarious podcast that feels more like someone sharing something that they love than criticizing what you enjoy. It's fun and a joy to listen to. Thank you so much. You know, definitely, uh, yeah, lead all your uh, reviews with (laughs) uh, compliments to me. Um, The thirst is real. (laughs) Thank you, Beth. Uh, You know, I am a desert in a man's body. Uh, (laughs) 
Joelle, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you? <clears throat> yes, uh, you can find me all over the internet at Joelle Monique. That's J-O-E-L-L-E-M-O-N-I-Q-U-E. Uh, Pace Magazine, where I've been reviewing the films of TIFF. Hopefully Ooh. that will wrap up. I saw so many movies at TIFF, and it takes me so long to write a review. Uh, <laughs> but check that out. They're up there. And, um, yeah, go to Twitter. Find me. The schedule's up there. Uh, well, uh, you know, it's it's getting close to October, so I want you to know the weekend of October 3rd, me and my all-black improv group, White Women, will be performing at the Trill Improv Fest in Houston. Uh, please bring barbecue. Uh, <laughs> if you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at WhoShotYourPod. Our Facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash WhoShotYourPodcast or send us an email at WhoShotYou at MaximumFun. Org. Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.